to the Kung Fu Dragon Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. It's an epic vengeance tale that inspired decades of video games and imitators to follow featuring a legendary weapon that transcended the film, starring a rotating cast of off-the-wall, over-the-top, and often just a tad offensive characters. Welcome to the Kung Fu Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and we're sticking our neck out for the master of the flying guillotine. (laughs) Master of the Flying Guillotine is a 1976 film written, directed by, and starring Kung Fu film legend Jimmy Wong Yu. It's a sequel to Wong's 1971 film, One-Armed Boxer. Now, on an incredibly juvenile side note, I knew a guy in my high school days whose name was Yu, so when we had to address him, it was always, hey, Yu. But if his surname had been Wong, it simply would have been impossible to suppress the urge to use his full name with an anglicized pronunciation and randomly shout out, hey, Yu Wang, at every opportunity. Just saying. And speaking of pronunciation, Master of the Flying Guillotine is a film in the wuxia genre, which usually focused on a hero or a heroic quest and often incorporated elements of fantasy and surreal circumstances or characters. Now, I'm going to continue to mangle the pronunciation of the word wuxia by using the lazy anglicized way, but apparently it's pronounced a number of ways. But if anyone out there knows the proper way, drop me a line and let me know. Quentin Tarantino has called this film, quote, one of my favorite movies of all time. And for longtime kung fu film fans, there's a special place in your heart for this film. However, for every critic like Kevin Thomas of the LA Times who has called this movie, quote, the holy grail of the Hong Kong martial arts movies of the 70s, there's a Phil Hall of Film Threat who wrote, This silly production stands as a dinky reminder of why martial arts film fell out of favor during the mid-1970s. The movie's now available on DVD and can also be found lurking in the series of pipes that is the interweb, so go watch it and let me know what you think. This film follows the development of a serial killer. Really. The Imperial Master Feng Sheng Wu Qi is a blind master whose two students have been slain by a legendary one-armed boxer, played by Jimmy Wang Yu. This sets off the master's bloodlust to find their killer and destroy him. His weapon of choice is, of course, the flying guillotine, which here is depicted as a type of hat with a bladed brim that can be tossed like a frisbee, surround the victim's head, and then, with a pull of the connected chain, release sharp blades, decapitating the wearer. However, our blind master isn't content to find just the killer. Instead, to make sure he doesn't miss his target, he's vowed to kill any one-armed man he comes across. Just a thought here, but how many one-armed people were there exactly in ancient China? Like, was it a thing to have one arm? Meanwhile, a prestigious martial arts tournament is scheduled to take place that features the finest and most bizarre fighters from all over the world. The one-armed boxer is expected to be in attendance, which sets up a deadly confrontation. We open up on a mountainous hellscape with steam pouring from vents in the rock and not much else around other than desolation and loneliness. A voiceover tells us that the year is 1730 during the reign of the Emperor Yong Cheng. Many Kung Fu experts were recruited to learn to use the flying guillotine and serve as protectors of the empire against Ming rebels. After the fall of the Ming dynasty, the rebels scattered into the wind. One guillotine master, our blind master Feng Cheng Wuqi, along with his two students were tasked with rooting out and killing the remaining rebels. We meet Feng Sheng, who is practicing his forms in his mountain retreat. It sounds like Feng Sheng is practicing in an echo chamber because the Kung Foley here is oppressively loud, to say the least. Though he's blind, Feng Sheng has developed acute hearing, which he uses to pluck a homing pigeon out of the air. Apparently, his two disciples sent a note ahead of their exploits, saying that if 
he got this missive that they were most likely dead at the hands of the one-armed boxer. Feng Sheng reacts to this as any normal person would. He grabs his flying guillotine. He leaps straight up through the roof of his retreat, about 40 feet into the air or so, throws some practice shots with the guillotine, which, by the way, sounds like a gun going off every time it's thrown. He decapitates some practice dummies from a distance and finally sets his entire retreat on fire while vowing to avenge the deaths of his students. An understated reaction, right? He disguises himself as a monk, complete with a big old Buddhist swastika on his man purse, and sets out to begin collecting some one-armed boxer heads. Chao Lung, Chao Fu, you'll be avenged. You sacrificed your lives for the great Qing dynasty. I swear that I will kill that one-armed man and avenge you both. The flying guillotine was apparently an actual weapon, at least according to some historical drawings in ancient Chinese literature from the uh, Qing dynasty. Its original name meant blood dripper, and according to legend it could be used as a melee weapon or thrown like a buzzsaw or, as the film shows, a decapitation helmet of some kind. There's a competing theory, though, that it was likely used by being dipped in a high concentration of poison and then deployed like a mini gas chamber. I'll post the link to these videos in the show notes, but National Geographic and the Mythbusters did features on trying to see if the flying guillotine could have been real and whether or not it would have been an effective weapon. National Geographic concluded that it could have been built, but there was no evidence uh, as to the existence of it, and Mythbusters tried to build one, and the results were inconclusive at best, though they did manage to construct a weapon that satisfied the description of the flying guillotine, but they couldn't see how it would be effective as a combat weapon, though it made a pretty scary assassination tool. When we were kids, our reenactment of this movie was a game of tag on steroids. It demanded that one guy be blindfolded as the blind master while the rest of us chose any of the other fighters. Our flying guillotine was just a frisbee. And because of the over-exuberance of youth, that often meant that a lot of us went home with bloody noses and black eyes. <laughs> Meanwhile, we get introduced to a kung fu school where class is in session. As the students are working out, the one-armed boxer himself, played by Jimmy Wong Yu, makes his entrance, checks on his students, and shows them an important and slightly ludicrous new technique. Come here. Today I'm going to teach you something new, the technique of jumping. The students fill a large but flimsy wicker basket with heavy stones, after which a student hops up on the edge and walks around the perimeter of the basket. After emptying the stones, the one-armed boxer explains that there's a second, more advanced step. Then follows the second step. This involves the control of breath so as to lighten your weight. After a student fails because he couldn't control his breathing, OAB, that's our one-armed boxer, hops up and shows how it's done, stepping up lightly onto the basket's edge and walking around without any wobble. Now, on a personal note, I destroyed more than one laundry basket trying this, as well as bruised my shin several times no matter how well I controlled my breathing. But wait, there's more. Then we come to jumping. The most difficult, the flying technique. Come along with me. Beyond the second step is the flying technique, which, as it turns out, isn't so much flying as it is turning into Spider-Man. Like the lizard in the Five Deadly Venoms, OAB hops up onto the wall and walks straight up, across the ceiling, then down the opposite wall to the delight of his students. He doesn't explain how he does it just yet, but does encourage them to keep practicing. Though for me, practicing my breathing usually meant hyperventilating, 
So it may have felt like I was flying, when in actually I was just dying. The nearby Eagle Claw School announces that they're going to be holding an open tournament and invite fighters to come and test their might. If you've played Tekken or Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat, you'll see where those games drew their inspiration from. OAB gets convinced by his students to allow them all to go and watch, and OAB allows it so long as they all keep a very low profile. Our blind assassin has also been alerted to the tournament and expects the OAB to be there, so he secretly plants several tournament participants into the mix. We are next introduced to the guy running the tournament at Eagle Claw School as he's working out several students in the courtyard. The students are showing off some impressive sparring skills when a messenger runs in bearing some news. He's followed by a barefooted but otherwise very colorfully dressed and apparently very heavily congested Thai kickboxer who demands entry into the tournament. Now, this Thai kickboxer would never be presented on TV today because it's the kung fu film equivalent of blackface on a Chinese actor. The guy's shoe polish makeup job is the Hong Kong version of C. Thomas Howell's Soul Man, and it's not even the worst offender in this movie. The president initially denies the kickboxer, but is convinced to allow the visitor to demonstrate his ability. The Thai fighter, ha, immediately kicks up a cement weight, then leaps up into the air and kicks the blocks, shattering it. This guy's strength is obviously in his feet and kicking ability, and he offers to put them to the test against the students present. Fight scene. But before the fight, the Thai fighter performs a ritual dance to prepare himself. I have no idea if it's an accurate dance or a farce, but it incorporates what looks to be some religious rites with several leg movements that make it look like he's trying to avoid stepping into some animal droppings. When he's finally ready, the students rush in and promptly get the snot beat out of them. You have to give much credit to actor Sham Chin Bo for giving the kickboxer a really unique looking fighting style that's very easy to separate from all the kung fu going on. He relies heavily on leaping, kicks, and close quarter knee strikes, only using his hands when necessary, and it looks pretty cool on screen. He really pummels the students and draws blood from a lot of them while the tourney president looks on. When he's done with the students, he gets another challenge from the president's daughter who's eager to test out her skills in the tournament too. She jumps in, despite less than encouraging words from her dear old dad. Hold it! Let me try now. Daughter? You're not good enough. One more hawking spit from the kickboxer and they go at it. The daughter breaks out her eponymous eagle claw style as her hands strike with decisive quickness. She scores the first hit when she tears away some of the kickboxer's clothing and it shocks the kickboxer enough so that he unleashes a furious barrage of kicks towards her, connecting several times before her father steps in and ends it. Apparently he's proved himself worthy of the tournament and gains acceptance, much to the disdain of the daughter. Kung Fu requires a level of physical fitness that few have achieved, but you don't need to be a Kung Fu master to get into the best shape of your life. As an independent Beachbody coach, Jeff Vita has helped many people focus on better nutrition and exercise to shape up and slim down in as little as 60 days. All for free. Sign up for a free account with Jeff at www.beachbodycoach.com slash ignisaurumprobat. That link will be in the show notes. To get his coaching and guidance from nutrition to workout tips, as well as daily motivation to follow through on a program that suits your needs and goals. Jeff can speak from experience, having lost 51 pounds while doing the Insanity Max 30 workout. You can see his transformation on YouTube via the link in the show notes. Ignis Orm Probot. Fire test gold. Time to shine.
check-in scene, we get a glimpse of some of the other fighters. We meet Wayakuma, who looks like he could have inspired Raiden from the Mortal Kombat games. We also quickly see another fighter with a mustache that looks like it's growing upside down. And then we meet Yogi Chola Song, an Indian fighter who is hilariously far more offensive a character than the Thai kickboxer. The actor Wang Wing Sang is obviously a Chinese actor, but here he's dressed in Indian garb with a turban and a beard, but his face is caked with what looks like thin chocolate frosting. He just looks greasy, and there's no way that anyone would mistake this guy as a born and bred citizen of India. That isn't even the funniest thing about this guy. We'll talk about that later. Later in the day, Feng Sheng Wuchi, our blind assassin, makes it into town and stops for a bite to eat. While in the restaurant, he overhears a drunken braggart, who happens to only have one arm, boasting about how he killed seven with one blow. If you're familiar with the fable of the brave little tailor, this is their take on it with far more dire consequences. The braggart, drunk on food and wine, tries to slip out of the restaurant without paying. You don't know who I am? You never heard of me? Huh? You listen. I happen to be the one-armed boxer. See that? I killed seven. <laughs> I guess that should be enough proof of you. Yeah, I killed seven with one blow. Did you ever hear anyone doing that? The blind assassin, of course, hears this and quickly tosses the guillotine down, slicing off the braggart's head, sending the restaurant into a tizzy. When he learns the guy really wasn't the one-armed boxer... It was just a bomb! I don't care who he was. I intend to kill every one-armed man that I come across here. Now we come to the most fun part of this movie, the tournament. I love this part just because it's all fights and they cover so many different styles, weapons, and characters. The fights aren't very long, so they're just the right bit of bite-sized kung fu action. The contest begins! The contest begins! The contest begins! The fight scene. Our first fight is Long Spear versus Triple Irons. This fight is very quick, but the two actors don't pull any punches as they let loose. The Triple Irons, or Triple Nunchucks, looks so cool on screen when they're whipping around wildly. There's plenty of jumps and weapon handling, but Triple Irons gets the upper hand right away when his... Chuck catches Longspear in the chest as it breaks through his staff. Longspear takes a few more strikes before he uncorks a series of back handsprings to try and escape, but it's no use because Triple Irons easily tracks him and deals a finishing blow. Take the loser away! In our second fight, Fast Sword goes up against Win Without a Knife Waiyakuma, the Japanese Raiden character that we met in the check-in scene. There's a moment of tension here as Win Without a Knife doesn't take the stage immediately. Instead, he makes his ultra-dramatic entrance by leaping up over a 30-foot-high divider and landing deftly in the arena, earning the admiration of the OAB who's in the audience watching. Fast Sword is using a sword, shocking, I know, and Yakuma is working with Tonfa, which, as any of you who've been arrested would recognize as police batons. Fast Sword really isn't particularly fast, especially since Yakuma, who has all the mobility of Peyton Manning on NyQuil, is able to step and counterstep without any problems. Again, here it's really impressive how the actors are able to distinguish their style and weapon handling, especially as Yakuma demonstrates how he can effectively lock up a sword in mid-swing and render the opponent powerless. Yakuma adds a dash of treachery as he draws in for the win by disarming Fast Sword and then deploying a hidden spring-loaded knife from his tonfa and shiving Fast Sword for the win. Take the loser away! 
next fight is Ropair versus the Mongol. Ropair's weapon is his very long ponytail, while the Mongol seems to have strength and a frightening upside-down mustache as distraction. The Mongol's style is a grappling, power-based attack, while Ropair is more fluid and quick. In one exchange, the Mongol tries several takedowns and armbars, but Ropair manages to slide out. Ropair begins whipping his ponytail around helicopter-style, but is caught by the Mongol in a vice grip. Ropair does manage to whip his hair back and forth and wrap it around the Mongol's throat. The Mongol attempts to loosen the hair grip by lifting Ropair above his head, serving only to tighten the noose and suffocating himself in the process. As he passes out, he drops Ropair to the ground, and as the referee is about to declare Ropair the winner, we pan down to see that where the Mongol was gripping Ropair is now dripping with blood, and Ropair collapses to the ground too. Our next fight is the Northern Daredevil versus who I'm going to call the Muscle Man. The Northern Daredevil is a speedy fighter who goes on the attack immediately. Unfortunately, his opponent seems to be impervious to harm, particularly in his groinal region. Several kicks to the area do nothing. Now, us guys, you know that you don't even have to hit there to cause a full body cramping defensive move, so kudos to this guy for taking direct hit there and not flinching. Northern Daredevil doesn't quit, however, and throws kick after kick to any area he can reach. He takes a few too many chances at Muscle Man's groin, however, and Muscle Man catches his foot during one barrage and proceeds to snap his ankle. The ref runs in and is about to declare him the loser when Northern Daredevil tumbles towards Muscles and tries one more kick, at which point Muscles grabs his leg and lifts him up into the air. Now, if we've learned anything from Kung Fu movies, we've learned that anyone impervious to harm always has at least one weak spot. Northern Daredevil knows this too, and as he's lifted up, he strikes at Muscle Man's eyes, destroying his invulnerability. He finishes with one more kick to the groin that drops Muscles in a pool of his own blood-soaked urine. Gross, gross scene. His spirit protected him, but he lost his sight, and that's why his defense is broken. Take the loser away! Our next fight is Eagle Claw versus Monkey Style. The President's Daughter makes her tournament debut against one of my favorite fighters in this tournament. Monkey Style is not at all a major player in this movie, serving only as tournament fodder for Eagle Claw. However, his monkey style is so much fun to watch because the dude actually looks and moves like a monkey. His face is even simian with the wild expressions he uses during the setup and fight. It's not an especially exciting fight, but monkey style is just so entertaining. I watched this fight several times before moving on. These two are very dynamic fighters as Monkey Style is using lots of flips and jumps to move around. Eagle Claw already showed what she could do against the TIE Fighter, so she does more of the same. Every one of her strikes rips a bit of clothing off her opponent, so in essence, she just fights to get her opponents naked. Monkey Style never really has a chance as she rips and tears with her claws until Monkey Style is shirtless and his pants can't stay up during his expertly executed series of back handsprings. Out of embarrassment, he covers up and rushes off the arena floor and concedes the match. Every day, whether you realize it or not, you're moved by the power of visual communication. And that's by design. At Tinbox Marketing Solutions, the goal of that design is to bring effective communication to a myriad of people through shape, color, texture, and sound.
Tinbox is a creative services group located in Los Angeles, California, by way of New York City. Their clients include La Tigre, Konami, Pony Footwear, and comedian Jerry Seinfeld. For the bleeding edge in graphic design and print services, don't think outside the box. There is no box. TinboxSolutions.com Japanese swords versus flying ropes. This is an interesting fight because instead of open fighting in the arena, the combatants choose to add an obstacle to the mix. Amidst rows of pylons, the arena floor is spiked with blades, so anyone who falls off the pylons should be skewered. Flying ropes hops right up onto the pylons with ease. Japanese sword snorts his disdain and responds by hopping up onto the blades with his bare feet. Not the wooden pylons, straight up onto the blades. They hop from pylon to blade and back again, throwing swords and ropes at will. There are a few close calls as they nearly impale themselves during some falls, but each fighter manages to catch himself before uh, they get seriously damaged and get up to keep fighting. But almost as quickly as this fight begins, it's over as Flying Ropes catches Japanese sword with his lasso and pulls his sword arm down to his neck. This is by far the bloodiest battle of this tournament because Japanese sword doesn't just lose. He falls to the floor and lands on several blades. Even the ref looks shocked as he announces that Flying Ropes is the winner. Take the loser away! And now, we get to watch the most ridiculous character in this movie, in this next fight, which is Tornado of Knives versus Yogi Chola Song. Yogi Chola Song does his thing as an Indian man whose fighting style is based on yoga. So what does that mean? It means he can extend his arms like Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four out to about six feet in front of him. The extension of his arms is always accompanied by a ratcheting, clicking sound as his limbs lengthen. It's really impossible to take this guy seriously, though, not for lack of trying. The actor Wang Wing Sang never cracks even when he's manipulating two clearly fake wooden arms out in front of him. Tornado of Knives has two daggers that he can spin around his hand with serious speed. This doesn't matter to Yogi at all, who, with a few clicks, can hold him at arm's length, which in this case is about a football field. This fight gets shortchanged a little when the president notices the OAB in the crowd and sends him a note to join the tourney. OAB decides to skip out and head back to the school before there's any more attention thrown his way. Meanwhile, Yogi finishes off Tornado of Knives by throwing his arms at his throat and choking him out. If you're a fan of the Street Fighter video game, the character Dal Sim seems to have taken his special move directly from Yogi Trolla Song. Ridiculous, yes, but also ridiculously effective. Next up, we have Tiger and Shark Fist versus the Thai Kickboxer. The Thai fighter guy gets his moment in the arena, which he again prepares for by doing his dance. Tiger and Shark Fist is less than impressed as he openly picks his nose during the performance. The Thai Shoeposh guy again uses lots of kicks and knees against Tiger and Shark Fist's quick hands, and first blood actually goes to Tiger, as do second, third, and fourth blood before Thai can make an adjustment. While the Thai fighter is on the ground, he digs in and kicks some dirt up into Tiger's eyes, then quickly follows up with several devastating kicks to end the match. Take the loser away! Next up, we have One-Armed Snake Fist versus Praying Mantis. Oh, look, a one-armed boxer. What are the chances? This fight is a cool demonstration of quick open-hand exchanges that is purposefully short because, of course, waiting in the wings is our blind assassin. 
He tosses the flying guillotine and quickly decapitates one-armed Snake Fist. The president confronts the assassin and challenges him for the senseless loss of life. Not the guy falling on the blades earlier. For this one. There are some mean words exchanged until the president attacks. He breaks out his eagle claw style while the assassin counters with the guillotine. Instead of decapitating him, though, he just buries the hat deep into the torso of the president. His daughter rushes to his side, only to get the blades to her arm. And as she passes out, the assassin rains down fire starters on the stage, setting the whole place ablaze. In the ensuing chaos, Wins Without a Knife runs over to the fallen eagle claw and spirits her away while the assassin sprints out of sight, looking for his next one-armed prey. News of the massacre reaches OAB's school, prompting him to temporarily close the school down. The students protest and find out from OAB the whole story. We get a great flashback of when OAB was attacked by the assassin's two disciples. Fight scene. Wang Yu apparently had zero formal martial arts training. Instead, he got really accomplished in movie kung fu. He demonstrates some great moves in this fight against the blind assassin's minions, though according to some reports, he wasn't the most careful actor with his physicality on the set. Some co-actors have slammed him for actually hitting them and hitting them hard during takes. While OEB is detailing his plans to shut the school down, the TIE fighter shows up playing his TIE flute and doing a few of his dance moves. He steps right to the one-armed boxer and tells him that his days are numbered. OAB's second-in-command jumps to his defense, allowing the kickboxer to dance his way around the room and show off more of his fancy kicking. The second-in-command is on the ropes pretty quickly, and even when he can't counter a kick by grabbing the kickboxer's foot, it's redirected by the TIE fighter as he jumps up, bicycle kicks in mid-air, and lands several kicks to the second-in-command's face. Just when you think the TIE fighter is about to close the deal, the blind assassin crashes through the school wall, because apparently the open door was too vulgar a display of convenience. The OAB orders the students to get out of there as the TIE fighter IDs him to the assassin. A quick toss of the guillotine unfortunately lands on a student while the OAB lightly steps aside, being careful not to give the assassin any clue of his location. The finely tuned ears of the blind man, however, lock on him, and the guillotine flies three times in succession, catching the one-armed boxer on the leg, but not too seriously. The OAB isn't about having this fight right now, so instead of fighting, he makes a quick escape to fight another day. Does he think he can escape? While all of this is going on, we cut to a weird little side tale where Wynn without a knife is with Eagle Claw as he nurses her back to health. She wants vengeance for her father's death, but Yakuma shuts her down. Well, don't bother. You aren't good enough. Instead, he offers to take her with him to Japan so she can be his first female student. Yakuma's apparently a tad possessive. Luckily, some may say improbably, the OAB stumbles upon this little hideaway as he is escaping from the school, and arranges for Eagle to hide in a cave so that they can prepare to take on the assassin. Everyone gets awfully familiar incredibly quickly in this story, don't they? One final meeting at the school before shutdown gets rudely interrupted by Yogi Chola Song. As OAB is saying a prayer, Yogi walks in and openly mocks him. No one-armed swordsman. It's just a one-winged chicken. The OAB isn't interested in fighting and turns his back on Yogi to finish paying his respects. Yogi is slightly perturbed by this and extends his arm up towards the ceiling to grab an oil lamp, which he tosses at the shrine. Yogi responds by throwing his pet owl at the OAB. He threw his owl. Now it scratched up the one-armed boxer's face, but all it did was succeed in getting him mad. Fight scene. A one-armed boxer versus an extendable armed yogi winds up making for a fun fight to watch. Yogi rarely uses his feet while OAB uses a combo of his arms and legs to try and counter the yogi's ridiculous reach. 
OAB's breathing technique comes into play as he leaps to avoid a sweep and grabs onto the ceiling rafter and just chills up there while hanging from one hand. Yogi stretches his hands up to grab him, but OAB drops down and forces a ground attack. Yogi's arms flail wildly, and then he drops into what looks like some capoeira or jujitsu-type rolls and tumbles to try and sweep OAB's legs. The one-armed boxer gets creative and uses his sash to lock up Yogi's arms against a post and then brutally snaps his arm in half. While Yogi's reeling, OAB loads up a one-armed punch and sends Yogi into the wall where he drops stone dead. Take the loser away! Starry Cycle by Jeff Summers, author of the Avery Kate series, has been called intricate with ink-black humor by RT Book Reviews, and heartbreaking, and soaked in blood and steeped in deadly power and desperation by Publishers Weekly. When blood fuels magic, there are mages, there are bleeders, and there are no good people. Learn the words, get the blood, and rule the world. Available everywhere from gallery books. Check out wearenotgoodpeople.com. is convinced that the one-armed boxer is not far from there, so they head back and try to track him down. OAB, meanwhile, arrives at the cave camp to regroup with his students and Eagle Claw. While they're working on their plans, OAB observes a bamboo cutter having trouble with his crop. The axe blade gets dulled very quickly by the tough bamboo stalks. This, of course, gives one-armed boxer an idea. OAB heads into town to begin setting up different pieces of his trap for the blind assassin. He visits a blacksmith and picks up some commissions, then heads to a coffin shop to buy the entire place outright. By the way, the coffin shop owner greets OAB with this line. Good day. Did you want a large coffin or just a small one? How jaded do you have to be to just throw that line out there so carelessly? Hey, so did your kid or your morbidly obese mom die? Just need to know how much overtime I need to pay out. Meanwhile, OAB lays down a fat sack of silver coins and buys out the place, then gets help setting up his trap. Back at the camp... Wynn without a knife has been spying on OEB and hangs back in the darkness waiting for things to unfold. The boxer addresses his students and lays out the attack plan, starting with taking out the TIE fighter. The immediate play is to lure the kickboxer to this camp. What's the best way to do that, you might ask? Well, of course, it's to stand in the middle of the town square playing the TIE flute with its snake charmer melody until the TIE fighter comes running and chases you back to the camp, right? Again, quite improbably, this tactic actually works, and the TIE fighter follows them, then gets someone to fetch the blind assassin to follow along as well. 
He arrives at the camp and kicks his way into a little hut where the one-armed boxer happens to be waiting. Outside, the students light bales of hay situated underneath the hut, heating up the metal floor inside. Only then does the TIE fighter realize that he might have made a mistake. Fight scene. He tries to jump out of the windows, but is blocked by the students wielding spears. As the floor heats up under him and his bare feet start to burn, the TIE fighter must act quickly and goes on the attack. The OAB is also in this hut, mind you, but his feet are protected from the heat by thin Chinese slippers, so no worries. It devolves into a chaotic mess of a fight as the TIE fighter does his best to escape while attacking OAB. OAB is up to the challenge as he constantly drops the kickboxer, forcing him to have to scramble across the heated metal. The TIE fighter's hands blister and crack from the heat, and it dawns on him that he's going to end up as TIE barbecue if he doesn't act fast. OAB falls back on his power punching, recalling a memory of his training, and lands a vicious killing blow to the kickboxer's chest. Take the loser away! With the TIE fighter dispatched, OAB gets his students to safety, but Eagle Claw wants to stay on and watch him avenge her father. He's about to order her away when Winds Without a Knife drops down from the sky and challenges OAB to a fight for Eagle Claw. As the blind assassin makes his way closer to the cave, OAB and Yakuma square off. Fight scene. Yakuma is intent on causing as much destruction to the camp in his quest to prove that he's the better fighter. OAB stands toe-to-toe -to -toe with him and doesn't allow the Tonfa to do any damage. Meanwhile, as the assassin is being led to the camp, Meanwhile, as the assassin is being led to the camp, the poor villager who is acting as his eyes triggers a tripwire in the cave and blows himself to smithereens. The explosion alerts the one-armed boxer and he knows he needs to end this fight as soon as possible if he's going to have a chance. OAB gets into some close-quarter exchanges and takes a blade to his side, but Yakuma's advantage is short-lived as OAB pulls him in closer and uses his own tonfa blades against him. As Yakuma falls, the assassin rolls up and wastes no time. Final fight! OAB hides amongst some tall bamboo that he set up there and draws the guillotine as often as possible. The assassin tosses it and repeatedly gets nothing but bamboo stalks, slicing through them pretty neatly. This, however, is the ploy as every strike against the hard bamboo dulls or breaks some of the blades of the guillotine. The blind assassin resorts to trickery by throwing some smoke bombs to obscure OAB's sight. While stumbling around, OAB takes a guillotine blade to his side, forcing OAB to escalate it to plan B. OAB bolts for the cave back into town while the blind assassin is in hot pursuit. For a blind guy, he navigates the labyrinthine cave passage with incredible ease. OAB lures the assassin into the coffin shop where there are a lot of caged birds making a ruckus. All the flapping and tweeting masks the OAB from the cute hearing of the assassin. They still manage to get a few shots thrown at one another as the one-armed boxer pulls a John Woo and releases several dozen birds right in the face of the blind assassin. This confuses him enough for OAB to step in and get in a few shots. He lures the assassin further into the shop where it's deathly quiet. OAB hides himself amongst the coffins and just waits. But while the assassin is expecting his opponent to be on the ground, the one-armed boxer is actually using his breathing technique to walk along the ceiling, distracting him with throwing rocks and making him throw his guillotine into all the hardwood coffins surrounding him. Remember that stop that the OAB made at the blacksmith? Here's where it's about to pay off. The assassin tosses the guillotine into one closed coffin and whips open the lid. Inside is a spring-loaded catapult that launches an axe that buries itself right into the assassin's chest. He pulls that axe out like a boss and throws it back at the one-armed boxer as he jumps down from the ceiling. OAB continues luring him around the shop to set off other catapults, two of which he uses to lock the guillotine in place against a post. Now weaponless, 
The two get into a regular street fight and do some great fight choreography using the many coffins in the shop. They take turns hiding in coffins, throwing lids, using them as dodges, in a fight that never feels claustrophobic, even though they're really in tight quarters. The two deal some serious damage to one another, but in this battle of a blind man against an amputee, it's the amputee that outlasts his injuries. The one-armed boxer uses his flying technique one last time to evade a wild attacking assassin and lures him to one final catapult that puts an axe right into his gut. OAB sets him up for the finishing punch and straight Phoenix punches him up through the roof and down where in a poetic exclamation point he kicks out another coffin, catching the falling assassin and then lays some funeral gifts across his body. The movie ends pretty suddenly in that scene, and it's such a wild ride that when you're done laughing at the ridiculous characters and powers, you get on board and it's a real-life video game that you don't mind playing again and again. As wild as it is, though, apparently Wang Yu, as a man, was much wilder in real life. He was the bad boy of Kung Fu Cinema, having been blacklisted from Shaw Brothers Studios for breaking a contract. He went on from there to Taiwan and Golden Harvest, where he really made his name. He's actually credited with moving Kung Fu films away from Wuxia and towards the open-handed fighting that dominated the 70s and 80s. At one point, he was the highest paid martial artist in film until Bruce Lee hit the scene. Until then, though, Wang Yu was known for getting into street fights and having affairs with his boss's wives and even a murder charge that was dismissed due to lack of evidence. Basically, you didn't mess with Wang Yu. He's had a string of marriages and divorces, and as recently as 2014, at the age of 70, he was breaking up with his girlfriend of 30. 30! Because her mom couldn't handle the age gap. Wang Yu was older than his girlfriend's mom. Don't hate the play, mom. Hate the game. Earlier this year, Wang Yu unfortunately suffered a second stroke, but is in recovery. Ironically, the first stroke he suffered left his left arm mostly paralyzed, truly making him a one-armed boxer. He last acted in the movie Soul in 2014, so here's to hoping that he can recover quickly. Alright gang, that'll do it for this episode of the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Kung Fu Drive-In, on Facebook, Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast, or just drop me a line at kungfudrivein at gmail.com, and please, 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 please take a moment out to rate or review the podcast in iTunes. It helps the show out a lot. We're still waiting for the podcast availability on Google Play, but until then, you can grab the direct feed from kungfudrivein.com. Next week, we kick back with a Jackie Chan classic, Drunken Master. See you next week, everybody. Peace.